Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Yo, yo, Dev, what's going on? What's going on? How's your week been? Uh, my week has been fabulous. I have been um, doing work and, you know, research or writing my dissertation, not really doing research, um, from Seattle over the last week. And so I spend the early part of the day, you know, just buckling down doing work. And then in the evening, I've been enjoying some really good food and scenery. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I've never been to Seattle. I only hear good things about it, so... I'm sure it's good and fun and refreshing to write while you're away, you know. That's a good, yes, that's a good system, too. Write in the first half and then go enjoy the the sights in the town or whatever, the city afterwards. That's pretty good balance. Mm-hmm. And I've been having to, like, work out as well because I've been eating so much food. <laughs> and, like, I've had dessert every single night. So that has also forced me to get my workout in every single day. So, you know, it's been a pretty good week. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I've been just um doing the same kind. Of, I mean, I I've, I've been home. I ain't been traveling, but I've been you know working um on a couple papers and trying to get get everything in order. Uh, you know, I may got a month before the semester starts or so, so you know I'm just trying to get a lot of writing done before that that happens. So I think I'm on the same wavelength, work working during the day and then kind of just chilling and relaxing in my evening times. Yeah, you know I. Being in graduate school, I had always dreamed of kind of having that schedule. Although I don't want a nine to five, I want a life or I want to be able to manage my work in normal business hours, if that makes any sense. Like if I want to take a day off, I want to do that. But at the same time, you know, I get tired of like working seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. I mean, that's the, yeah, that's the perk of being academia, I guess that flexibility um but uh i think you know this episode i know we mentioned this last last time we'll do some old lord news in a second and then we'll get into some of the things to prep everyone for the upcoming debates uh that'll be happening i guess tonight is when the episode airs right wednesday yes so uh the first debate is tuesday and the debate you know, night or the day's episode airs. All right, cool. So let's get in some Olo news and then we'll uh, get into some of the politics. Okay. Hello, and welcome to BHD News, where we give you the most current and eye-opening Olo news of the week. Join us as we present news that'll make you want to say... Okay, so we all know that there has been a crisis at the border. We've been seeing some, you know, very heartbreaking stories about how asylum seekers are being treated. Um, And it's becoming even more distressing and disturbing because now U.S. citizens are being caught up in this um, 
you know, anti-immigration trap, uh, specifically in three separate incidents over the past month or so, U.S. Latino citizens have been harassed and detained, and not just adults, but also children. Um, so have you heard about the Dallas-born U.S. citizen? He's 18 years old, and he was detained for three whole weeks by Border Patrol and ICE. And so what happened was um, they were, I think, near near a border town or, um, yeah, they were near a border town and they were stopped by um, Border Patrol and ICE agents. Um, the boy in question had his um, Texas state ID, which you cannot get if you are not a citizen, I believe he also had a social security card with him um, and other identifying information to make it clear that he was a U.S. citizen. Uh, they detained him and his brother. His brother was not a U.S. citizen. His brother was born, um, I believe, in Mexico. And they detained both of the boys. And the older brother decided to self-deport just so that he could leave the detention center and report to their mom what happened because they were not allowing them to you know make any phone calls um so they would have been stuck there for weeks with their mom not knowing what happened to them at all if the older brother hadn't decided to self-deport so he could call his mom wow that's crazy man it sucks that people go and do this yes but listen to this second one about this um so a nine-year-old girl who was a U.S. citizen was also apprehended by U.S. immigration officials for 32 hours before she was released back to her parents. Wow. Um, so the girl um, attends school, um, I believe, in Tijuana. So, you know, there are people... Uh, it was reported in an article that there are people who often, you know, cross the U.S.-Mexican, you know, border for a number of reasons. And, and they are citizens. As I think these towns just kind of um, operate together. Um, well, the girl was trying to cross the border with her 14-year-old brother. They had been driven near the border, but because of traffic, they were going to be late to school. Um, so, you know, the adult told them to go ahead and go. Well, when they tried to cross the border, first of all, they accused the 14-year-old brother of trying to sex traffic the nine-year-old. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. But then... They took the nine-year-old in custody and held her for 32 hours because they said she did not look like the photo on her passport and that the nine-year-old gave conflicting answers. She's nine. Yeah, what they expect, yo? They supposed to have her story straight at nine? Like, yeah, wow. <laughs> A story straight about something that she's, like, really confused about. So, you know, it's a lot going on. And, you know... Actually, a Minnesota uh, immigration official tried to detain two women in a store because they were speaking Spanish or actually it was in Montana because they oh were speaking Spanish. And he told them uh, people don't really do that up here. That is, you know, there's a reason why I probably always forget Montana is a state. <laughs> I'm not thinking the U.S. I, every time I hear Montana, I'm like, oh, yeah, we do have that state in the U.S. That state, yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's 
you know, that just shows how scary it's get. Like children, you know, are not protected. You know, teenagers aren't protected. People who are just speaking in Spanish, like you can speak in Spanish. That doesn't mean you're an immigrant. Like that is so silly, um, but it's just getting scary. And it made me think about uh, the 10 stages of genocide that you um mention and talk through on our last episode and how these people are being surveilled, you know, how they are being othered and, you know, detained and it's, it's too much. No, it is, it's, it's just getting really scary, man. Like sometimes you just take a step back and look at the times we're living in. It's like, I can't believe that this is actually going on. I mean, adjacent to the stories you saw, you talked about, you know, I've been seeing a lot of viral videos going on with folks who, you know, the way ICE is just attacking people, you know, breaking car windows, busting down doors, all this kind of stuff. People are just driving, going in their everyday life, but how aggressive they are um, of trying to, you know, catch people and deport people and detain them, man. And like you said, a lot of the American citizens are being caught up in this nonsense, too. So it's kind of wild. Absolutely. Um, speaking of wild, um, this second story... Um, it's actually related to your alma mater. I, I don't know if you heard about this. Uh oh, what's up? I don't think I heard about this. <laughs> Hampton University fired nine police officers over misogynistic and racist content on social media. What? Now I hear about this one. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, you know, they did not actually share any of the images in these news stories, but apparently there was some type of meme war. Um, and, you know, I guess they were going back and forth with photos and captions designed to, you know, insult others in the group. Um, and officials said that the memes produced and shared in this group were egregious and extremely inappropriate to be shared in the workplace. Um, and the university said they have zero tolerance for that behavior. But of course, they did not show the images, but it, it, it seemed like maybe they were joking. I, I don't know. but <laughs> mm, Yeah, I got to look this up. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're in these positions, if you're doing it in the workplace, at the workplace, you know, that's a different story. It kind of sounds like it was some maybe form of group chat <laughs> or yeah. thing, and they were just going ham uh, and doing inappropriate things and then got caught up in it. Yeah. Um, you said eight, nine of them got... It was not, and it was actually four or five African Americans and four uh, white officers. So I, it just it seems like they were like going back and forth with each other. It seemed like in a joking way, but the university is like, I'm not with it. Yeah, that's that's just yeah, that's damage control. That's uh, making sure your image stays intact. Um, so they just getting ahead of it. Yeah, I guess I got to look into it. You know, I don't want to say it's a, uh, it just sounds like one of them situations. Yes, it's probably inappropriate, but it probably was like, they're all homies, especially if it was both mixed black and white, just going at each other. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Crazy. Which, you know, like in my research at the school that I did, I actually found like, you know, the students, they would, you know, say things that were considered racial slurs back and forth to each other in like kind of a joking banter way and i'm just like okay that's weird yeah. but you know it happens yeah i actually heard of or read about i can't remember it was a long time ago maybe maybe when i was in undergrad one of my um psychology professors was talking about how i think there's either studies or like people that work in like really 
um, uh, I think he was working in like um, a, a mental health facility um, for like extreme cases. And I guess a lot of the things that they mm -hmm. would see would be, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, extreme uh, with the patients and stuff like that. And he said, you know, a lot of the times in the break room, um, you know, all the staff and employees, whatever they would get around, they would just say like inappropriate jokes or crazy things about, you know, mm -hmm. the patients and stuff like that. And he said not that they mean it, but it was a form of like, um, therapy in a way where they can like release like all the kind of stress they experience at work um, and he was just like yeah people heard the things that we say you know we could probably be in a lot of trouble but he admitted that they kind of needed to do that because of the type of you know environment now I've been to Hampton I don't think Hampton is as stressful uh, <laughs> as some you know other police work out out there as a campus police um, but you know who knows it is a part of the culture I think in some in some spaces yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of getting fired, I don't know if I shared this story with you, but I just found it was too funny. So uh, speaking of getting fired, a 66 year old public official who he's white and he looks like. I, I don't you know, I don't know his name is Jerry <laughs> Foxhoven. And, you know, if you Google a picture of him. He looks like somebody's granddad, like, you know. Well, anyways, he was fired or forced to resign because of his obsession with Tupac. Oh, I heard about that story. I think he was trying to <laughs> figure out Tupac's killer or something like that. Was that it? Well, it was, it was, it seemed like a lot. So he was a director at this place for like two years and he often like emailed out Tupac lyrics to be like motivational oh uh, and stuff like that. And so, you know, I think somebody had reported or asked him to stop. And I, I don't know if he had been warned, but after he sent this email, he was like, uh, this is the email. He was like, you have already received my email reminding you that this Sunday is Father's Day. I am sure you are already aware that this Sunday, June 16th, is also Tupac's birthday. He would be 48 today if he were alive. So, of course, I will be celebrating both Father's Day and Tupac's birthday. I hope you all enjoy the day as well and take time to enjoy one of his songs. And uh, it says, hard to believe he's been gone for almost 23 years. Here's an inspirational quote by him. Pay no mind to those who talk behind your back. It simply means that you're two steps ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious, man. That is hilarious. So wait, why did he get fired, though? Is it just like it made people I, uncomfortable? Or he was just I doing guess it, too it much? made people uncomfortable. And I believe, like I said, I think that at least one person like expressed that they were like uncomfortable maybe um to a higher up or something but uh i think they found it inappropriate <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting i mean i feel like every job you have you always have a handful of folk that just do things that are you know outside the norm like when it comes to you know etiquette with emails and things like that you know even in academia like the email chains we were part i'm like okay you know, y'all look yeah. awesome. I think it's it's just funny though that you know he chose Tupac yeah. and that that got him. But you know, it's a motivational quote: celebrate Father's Day and what? Tupac's birthday. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, um. So I have two two other little stories. One is on a more serious note, but it's still on the topic of like work and jobs. Um. So a new study by researchers at Northwestern Harvard and the Institute for Social Research in 
Norway, um, did uh, field experiments on hiring discrimination from 1989 to 2015. And what's crazy is that the researchers found that anti-Black racism in hiring has gone unchanged since 1989. Oh, wow. That's wild. You know what? I'm not too, I'm not surprised. But, you know, the fact that it's 2019, we're still seeing data like this saying that, you know, not much has changed in the past 30 years. It's kind of, it's wild. And I mean, it, it is wild, but it also helps to explain the fact that, you know, our employment rates, you know, while overall it might be low, it's still higher than like the national average. And like, you know, you're looking at other places, it's a, it's above other racial groups. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Like in May, there was a report that black unemployment is 86% higher than the U.S. average. Mm. Although, you know, we have been um, at, you know, historic lows, it's, it's still an issue. No, it really is. It really is. You said this was a plate. Where was it? What did they do the study at? Um, so it was a collaboration between researchers at Northwestern Harvard and the Institute for Social Social Research in Norway. Oh, okay, that's that's an interesting, uh, and, you know, connection. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And they looked at field. And so, for our listeners who might not know what field experiments are, um, so they looked at all the available field experiments over almost a thirty year period. And field experiments are. For instance, it could be resumes. Uh, They send the exact same resume um, with the same qualifications, same everything, but all they'll do is maybe change the name from Tyrone to Tyler or something like that. And, you know, kind of looking at whether this cue that Tyrone might be Black impacts their, uh, you know, callback rate. You know, some people might do voices. So, you know, they might leave a message to say, you know, I'm applying for this job. Uh, Some people like Diva Pager, you know, rest in peace. She actually passed away. Mm -hmm. She did an experiment where I believe she was actually sending people in, Mm -hmm. like physically, so they saw. So it was, you know, with everything held the same, qualifications, uh, education, some people get hired more than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, right. And even I think with Diva Pages, it was like she even made it to the case where they were like the same height, like had the same demeanor. You kind of spoke the same, like <laughs> physical characteristics, everything. Um, and one was just black and one was white. I mean, you know, the groups. Uh, and yeah, and the whites, you know, in most of these studies, especially when talking about employment, you know, the blacks get the shorter, shorter, shorter uh, end of the straw. Mm-hmm. Don't get the job, so... Um, but one way I want my people, I want them to get some money. I'm trying to get them paid. Uh, this is the last story, but have you heard about like the Equifax breach? Oh yeah. People getting paid. What they say? Like 700 million they about to give out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Equifax, they, you know, leaked, uh, you know, a bunch of data. This was back in 2017. Uh, back then, you could actually go on their website to see whether you, you know, you have been affected by the breach. Well, they just reached a settlement uh, that includes up to four hundred and twenty-five million um, to help pay those who have been affected by the breach. And you can get money in a couple different ways. The 
first way is you can either select 10 years of free credit monitoring from Equifax. But I mean, they did this. Why would you want them to protect your credit? But, (laughs) you know, that's your business. Um, Or you can get $125 if you decide not to enroll. But you have to kind of verify or certify that you have some type of credit monitoring. So it could be Credit Karma. It could be one of the other credit bureaus. But they're pretty much saying, if you take this 125, we are not responsible. You know, you better monitor your credit. Um, And that's the easiest thing to do. All you have to do is look to see if you're affected. If you were, you just claim that 125. Now, if you are somebody who uh, actually experienced like loss or damage related to it, um, the credit uh, the breach, or if you like spent time like freezing your credit report, you know, following the 2017 breach or anything like that, you could claim up to 20 hours uh, to be compensated for that time you spent repairing your credit or trying to protect it. And it's $25 an hour. For the first 10 hours, all you have to do is describe what you did. You don't have to produce any proof, but you have to describe what you did based on an hour. So, you know, that could be up to you fit off of the one five. If you try to claim more than 10 hours, then you have to produce like some type of evidence of the time you spent uh, repairing your credit and et cetera like that. So, you know, that's, that's just a little bit something to think about. You can go to ft.gov, uh, you know, or Google um, ftc.gov of.gov Equifax data breach settlement. It'll take you there. It'll give you information about how to file the claims and et cetera. But get your money. Yeah, yeah. Everybody look into that. Um, Equifax is like what one of the biggest, definitely got to be top two, top mm-hmm. three credit, you know, reviewers, mm-hmm. value, whatever. Um, and so that's a big breach they had. And so, yeah, get compensated if you were affected. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into that too. Shoot. <laughs> Um, yeah, just know it might, it's probably gonna take a good six months to get the money. Oh, yeah, but, I bet you know, yeah, it's not gonna be nothing why, quick. <laughs> why not do it? They owe you, yeah. they owe you. Um, I got one uh, other <laughs> oh lord, new story <laughs> that I surprised. I know you had to see this, Daph. Uh, it was the video of the, the, the raw chicken moving off the table. You see that video? Oh no, I didn't. Oh my goodness, it went viral. It was at one of those, um, you know, the kind of restaurants. Um, I think they're usually typically like Asian restaurants where you kind of cook your stuff on the, yourself on like, oh, a pot. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it was this, you know, raw piece of. It was a solid piece of chicken, and the girl like got up because the chicken was still like it was moving and it really, oh, literally oh. moved off the table oh, onto God. the floor. Oh my god. Oh, heck no. I'm going to have to do that. Although I'm scared to because it sounds so disgusting. Oh, my God. It freaked. I mean, it freaked a lot of people out. You know, the Internet was going wild. Um, You know, I I, to this day, I think, you know, no one has came out to this moment. I don't think said that it was like a falsified video or anything like that. Um, And it was everywhere, man. I'm surprised you did not see that because that was creepy as hell. <laughs> I mean, how did that happen? Some, like, was it like muscle? Like, yeah, only- some people say that, like, when um, I guess people who are familiar with it, I, I was reading some of the comments, and some people are like, when you uh, freshly, you know, uh, kill an animal, like a chicken or whatever, and it's like freshly done, sometimes the nerves are still moving. 
and stuff and attached. <laughs> and so they think it was like a fresh, you know, a fresh kill, um, fresh meat, which is good, which is what you want, right? I'm sure. But mm-hmm. uh, but the fact that it was still, oh my God, that girl was freaking out. She was a coroner. Of course, naturally everybody was, but I don't know. I don't know what I would do if I'm about to like, you know, throw this chicken up on there and it just start moving off the plate. <laughs> I if that happened to I don't even know if I want to watch it because I know if it happened to me in real life I would probably be vegan right now. Oh yes, <laughs> raw vegan. That's what that's what so many in the comments were saying. Like yeah, I'm about to try out this vegan thing because this is wild. This, this is wild because you know what meat sometimes creeps me out anyway. Like I'm one of those people. Like when I was younger, if I saw a vein in my chicken, I had to throw the whole thing off that <laughs> Like I I just could not eat it. Like. I don't know. So, uh, man, that's why I prefer seafood because you don't run into some of those. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not, yeah, definitely, you know, you know, the fish is pretty much dead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, that's one of the things that Chris and I, because over this past year, you know, we've pretty primarily been eating plant-based diet, at least when we cook and stuff, you know, we haven't cooked meat in this house in like well over a year. And Oh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll eat, you know, chicken and stuff when we go on vacation and that kind of stuff, you know, it's not like we're complete vegetarian but we're like let's primarily be when we cook and stuff let's be plant-based and um and i would say just the mere fact of not having to cook and clean like chicken or like meat in your house it just it just feels so much better you know in the kitchen like just you don't got to worry about so many of the germs and all the other kind of stuff and 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 the bacteria you know how you got to be extra careful when you're cooking meat Mm -hmm. like you said and and i haven't had to worry about it so it's actually like really a kind of like a relief not to have cooking cooking meat in the house yeah i can see that because i hate cooking chicken i just buy those whole chickens now i'm just like oh uh, yeah yeah i do not have time to deal with chicken raw chicken <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially raw chicken that run away yeah exactly yeah that that yeah you got to check out that video after this um and to our listeners proceed with caution if you haven't seen it yet <laughs> oh my god um but all right uh i think that's it for all Lord knows i don't think i have anything else let me look. Yeah, I don't have nothing else. Only other thing is that Meek Mill pretty much got his case thrown out, which was big. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. So, so congrats to Meek. And ASAP did not get his case oh, thrown no. out. No, he did not. Got charged with uh, assault and can face up to two years. I doubt. Mm-hmm. I doubt that'll be the case. But for some reason, that prosecutor out there is really trying to get him. And people are saying that Trump stepping in might be hurting <laughs> hurting his situation more. Yeah, actually, the former the former prime minister uh, published an article. I don't know. I can't I don't know if it was The Times or, you know, some other major outlet. But I read it and, you know, he was kind of saying that the prime minister literally cannot step in and do anything to help um, one that's just not how their government works. But two, if a prime minister were to try to like go in and, um, you know, alter, you know, the outcome of a case, they would probably be on the chopping block and, you know, lose their job. So it's just kind of like Sweden doesn't work like the U.S. Like it seems like their, you know, branches are, you know, fairly independent um, and people aren't going to stick their neck out like that to, you know, Try to save somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just seems like, you know, I mean, there's tons of cases like this in the U.S., you know, just uh, sometimes it's about what kind of prosecutor you get. And mm-hmm. it looks, I just look like ASAP got one of them that's like, nah, I'm about to make a name for mm-hmm. myself by keeping you here. 
and getting you some time. Um, I think they'll have the trial in early August, though. So hopefully, because I, I'm pretty sure he's in custody until, you know, they have yeah, a they hearing. They won't let him out to the trial. But mm-hmm. That's even good because U.S. trials be taking forever. So at least, you know. It's not as it's not as long. Swift justice. Yes, they actually seem like they're upholding swift justice over there in Sweden. So that's yeah. wild. Um, and I guess that could start kind of bringing us to into some of the things we want to talk about with uh, mm-hmm. the candidates coming up. Um, even mm-hmm. talking about ASAP because I recently saw uh, Kamala. She was at somewhere. I don't know. She was talking, and she says that um, she feels that Trump reaching out to Sweden is. To for about to a, about ASAP Rocky is like an abuse of power, and that he shouldn't be doing that, which I found kind of interesting too. Um, just her comments on that, but um, but yeah. all right, we can uh, we can get into some, yeah. of the, some of the things you want to talk about. Yeah, well, you know, since we're on justice, uh, I guess we can start with uh, the Mueller hearing, um, and then kind of move into some election stuff because uh, some of the information uh, released in, you know, or released during a hearing and in a report has important implications for the election. So we're going to talk about the debate, but we'll just briefly talk about the Mueller hearing and, you know, some of the um, key takeaways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a chance to watch, um, you know, a good chunk of it while it was on live. And I just found it was interesting because, um, it, you know, he really wasn't saying much. You know, um, a lot of the questions he was just like, I choose not to to answer. Um, you know, he was very careful and 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 deliberate in how he responded. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of juiciness out of this uh, out of this uh, hearing. You know, I mean, you saw the couple of lines I'm sure we're about to talk about that the headlines ran with. But overall, there wasn't there wasn't much. Um, yeah. Pretty hush, hush. And also. You know, from, you know, what I took away from this is this is pretty much repeating the report. Like, this is for people that didn't want to read uh, because mm-hmm. nothing was re- nothing extra was revealed in this hearing than what was already in the report. You know, other than maybe, of course, him, you know, saying that, you know, the investigation was not a witch hunt. And, um, you know, things of that nature. But it's just kind of like, um, if you don't feel like reading the report, I guess you can watch the hearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's 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 a good and lump sum. I think, you know, some of the takeaways, which we already kind of knew, like he already alluded to in the report that Trump was not in the clear all the way, but mm-hmm. he couldn't indict him. Um, and so it, I think the one of the biggest headlines in the takeaway was the fact that Trump can be um, indicted or charged when he leaves, when he leaves uh, office, right? So I think it was some mm-hmm. kind of, it seems like there was some kind of loophole because that he is president, a sitting president can't be indicted indicted for these kind of charges. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that was seems to be the main reason that Mueller couldn't pursue anything with Trump just because of his title. So that was interesting to see like, okay, well, you know, now it definitely gives, I'm sure, some of these Democratic candidates some more ammo. Like, you know, we beat Trump. We're going to charge him for his crimes, uh, mm-hmm. which they'll be allowed to do, which would be interesting. But by that point, I really don't care. Just get this man out of office is, is my main concern. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll really depend on who is, like, for instance, when that time comes when he's out of office, whether that is uh, 
2021 or unfortunately potentially 2025 2021 let's put that into the uh, air please uh but the, you know we're gonna get to that later yeah. but you know, these people gotta get their life together if they really want that to happen mm-hmm. um you know the other thing you know to take away is just how much foreign governments have taken an interest in interfering with our elections. And, you know, even if you don't want, you know, Trump out of office or, you know, even if you don't think it's a possibility, it's just really scary to think that, you know, not only did Russia interfere with the 2016 election, but they are still involved in our politics. And it seems that other foreign governments are, you know, either taking or considering taking, you know, their lead and doing so as well, interfering in our elections. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, other, other, yeah, I think Russia, this Russia issue, you're right, has opened the door for other countries to be like, oh, that's a good idea. And now we can be, <laughs> uh, I guess, digitally attacked from multiple fronts. Um, mm-hmm. And it reminds me, I, me and my wife just finished watching this show called The Good Fight. You ever hear about it? Yes, I have. Okay, yeah, because we used to watch The Good Wife, and then The Good Fight is a spinoff, for those of you who don't know. And I like The Good Fight because it's like uh, a black law firm that takes on like social justice issues and stuff like that. Um, so I suggest all of you check it out. And it's like a super... <laughs> They're like super anti-Trump, everything throughout the entire series, which is which is hilarious. Uh, but anyway, one or two of the episodes in the second season highlighted like uh, trying. They were trying to like the, the DNC was trying to get this their law firm to like help indict Trump, and but they were looking at the Russia. They were like kind of breaking down how Russia attacked the U.S. or used you know the kind of digital warfare in a way. And it was interesting because the way they did it was like like tar- it's called targeted something or other where they like create a certain they 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 only so like there's certain things where only certain people i mean we knew this when they were targeting people like black lives matter and stuff like that but the way they did it was like they put in certain demographics and they get it down to like a, a couple thousand and they would send out these false news reports intentionally to these certain eyes right so, so not so not everyone would see it so there's probably things that you and i didn't see but there's a a, a certain typecast of folks that were uh in their system that these false news reports would go out to and no one really knows so only they would target like small numbers of people so nobody we couldn't pick up until like later on you know what i'm saying uh, which was smart uh but it was the episode really broke it down i was like oh, that's pretty cool you know showing how they did that but but it's important to i guess and i know we've talked about this before in the podcast and daph you talked about it like even now to really vet uh the sources you're reading online, especially things that you're getting from social media, because that's where uh, when these attacks happen, like Facebook and stuff, they can target us because we have our information up there. You're black. You're in this age group. You went to school, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so if false reports coming. We just got to pay attention to exactly, you know, what we're reading and make sure those sources are credible. Mm-hmm. My personal policy is if I'm strolling uh, Facebook in particular and I see a story and, you know, it, I don't know, it seems off. It seems like, hmm, this is like potentially like T-worthy information, like something that just seems a little bit too interesting. I immediately go to Google, 
I read, I search the topic independently. Like I don't put in the title of that article and I try to see if I can find a credible source that can verify what I just read. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's just kind of my policy. You know, even when it comes to like a credible uh, news site, if I see information, you know, I try to find it somewhere else as well, just to vet it. And, you know, there are like independent news um, outlets and, and, and things like that. And not saying I don't trust them, but if I read something on an independent news outlet, I try to go to like a, a large uh, or major news outlet to see it. And, I, you know, BHD, we're independent. We're giving you all information. Vet us, you know, <laughs> vet what we're saying. Google it. You know, you don't have to take our word for it. And that's why we're so big on like giving sources and giving resources to back up the things we say, because we're in a time of disinformation. Mm-hmm. And like Mueller said on Wednesday, you know, Russians, they are interfering with our government as we are sitting here. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? That's how serious it was that he kind of put that out there. Yeah, that was one of the more definitive statements he made the entire thing. It's like, like yeah, Russia's still messing with us, um, and we need to take that threat very serious, uh, which is important. I think you're right, you know. And I would like to see our listeners, you know, if you got suggestions, if we were inaccurate in something, let us know so we can, you know, correct it or, or at least on the next episode address it, clarify what it is. We are very open and receptive to that. You won't be offending us what whatsoever you know not at all (laughs) and it's the academics in us too just the practice of yes because you know for me like my rule of thumb is like i need to see this in multiple sources you know i just can't take one source and be like oh this is the most credible thing i like to look at and sometimes facebook will catch people because it'll be like a certain article and it'd be written like two years ago and it's just like resurfacing and people are acting like it's new and um mm-hmm. and so it's like you know you mean, <laughs> that's a big one <laughs> yes that comes look at those dates yes please that's the one of the first things i look at is when was this published uh because then you don't want to be out here talking about outdated information um because that happens so much on facebook like i can't even it does. <laughs> so yeah that's one of the first things yeah. i should look at Okay. And it's crazy. Although that we're taking these threats seriously, um, it does not seem like Senate Republicans are taking it seriously because over the past week, they have blocked four pieces of legislation that sought to bolster the security of U.S. elections. Um, and most of them dealt with, uh, I believe, trying to secure like voting machines um, because uh, there was in in a Newsweek article. It said uh, it would place a heavy heavy burden on two of the largest voting machine vendors, um, who I guess supply up to like eighty percent of all voting machines. And what's crazy is uh, McConnell is the person who was just like, no, we're not voting on this. Uh, you know. This is so partisan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, he received campaign uh, donations uh, from, you know, those very uh, uh, lobbyists, like voting machine lobbyists, before blocking those security bills. Yeah, see, I'm not surprised. It's very interesting how they are more likely and more and move more quickly to stop American citizens from voting. <laughs> And, and and then they are to stop, you know, international interference with our democratic process. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. How hypocritical is that? That's yeah. Okay. 
They want they don't want US citizens deciding. They want Russia deciding. Yes, yes, because it probably works in their favor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. All right. Um uh, but speaking of deciding, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have a tough choice with our Democratic primary and of course, as we mentioned, two debates this week. One mm-hmm. last night, uh from when this episode aired, and one tonight. Um and, you know, if we get a chance, I guess we can try to live tweet again yeah, yeah. Um, about some of the debates. Um, but uh, the debates are happening. You probably already saw one in the, you know, I guess the biggest contenders in that. Uh, and the big contenders in first, of course, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg. Beto O'Rourke, um, those were like the top names. And of course, Amy Klobuchar uh, also. And for the second night or tonight, it is Biden against Harris again. And we have Castro, Yang, and Cory Booker. It's going to be it's gonna be a good one. It's going to be good. Both of them definitely. Again, we'll live tweet. I know this episode, the, well, I, and I'll put it, we'll post it on social media and stuff like that too. That uh, we'll be live tweeting, but you know, uh, I guess we can talk about some of the things that that have recently come out this past week or so with some of the candidates. Um, you know, we already kind of talked about Elizabeth Warren's plan to forgive student loans, but it seems like she actually put the bill forward, introduced the bill to like mm-hmm. start the process now and not wait until she becomes president, which is good. You know, I'm happy mm-hmm. about that because um, that that says that kind of says a lot, right? Why why we just gotta wait for you to be, um, and it also makes people I think it's very strategic too because it makes people choose sides right like some of these Democrats and some of her peers and colleagues are going to have to like vote for this now right mm-hmm. uh, before. yeah <laughs> oh my god I didn't think about that and so it's like I'm gonna put this on the table now and we're gonna put a proposal and I'm gonna put you on the spot so are you you know Kamala are you Biden are you Warren I mean not Warren um, uh, Bernie and all these other folks are you gonna be like yes to this or are you gonna you know push back and that's going to draw some lines in the sand so i think it's also strategic on her end and it's clever so i actually want to see how this plays out because <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> i agree very clever but it's just going i feel like that is saying like i'm gonna put my money where my mouth is i'm not gonna just tell you all of these grand ideas i have i'm gonna put it forward and you know i'm you know, there's a lot of politics that is, you know, going to happen around that bill. But, you know, we'll follow it and see. Um, another person who, you know, came out with uh, plans recently, and we kind of mentioned this at the end of the last episode, uh, but Biden put forth an alternative to Medicare for all uh, with a public option uh, health care proposal. Um, And it would pretty much kind of expand Obamacare. And some people see it as like kind of a transition between our current system and potentially a Medicare for all. Therefore, they see it as a little bit more feasible, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, honestly, you know, uh, any politician who is proposing that is just a more realistic one, um, it's not to say that we can't, and we talked about this before on the podcast, that we can't ever get to a universal, like, free healthcare for everyone. But to go from what we have now to that in four years just seems like too much of a, a shakeup, 
Um, and I feel like, again, especially from those of us in marginalized populations, uh, usually it's going to be folks that look like us, folks that don't have money, that are usually going to be left out in these quick shifts, even like somebody like what Bernie Sanders is trying to do. Um, so I would like to see a more gradual process to that or moving in that direction where, yes, more people can get free access to healthcare or better, cheaper, very affordable access. Um, so, so yeah, that does, you know, policies like that, I, he's not the only one with the public option, but it's, yeah, it's good that he put it out because now I think with these debates, that's going to be clearly a talking point of his. Mm-hmm. And um, for those, it's, it's, it might be more feasible to do this because I think Kaiser Permanente, you know, did a study or a survey and showed that most Americans aren't willing to give up their private insurance for like a Medicare for all option, <clears throat> but with the public option, people would have the um, option to buy into a public system or to keep their private insurance and, um, you know, I guess figure out what works for them. I do believe uh, people have said one issue with that is that it still wouldn't 100% cover everyone uh but it would cover like the the majority of people i believe mm -hmm. yeah i just feel like you know most yeah, i feel like most people right now would not be willing to change somebody like you know myself wouldn't be running to just go to that just because i need to see what it entails you know what i mean just like it's too many gray areas at the moment um and especially people that are talking about who have families you got children that need coverage and you don't want to just jump into something that, you know, puts your family um, in a jeopardizing situation, too. It's just a lot of variables. And I think, you know, this should be a more meticulous, careful process to make sure that when it's done, it's done correctly. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to share in our resources a very interesting uh, article. It's actually from 2017. So it was an old article, but it did a good job of breaking down how other uh, governments, um, you know, across the country, um, operate in terms of like their, you know, either, you know, single payer or, you know, public option health insurance. And from, you know, what I was reading, you know, they looked at countries like Britain, Canada, um, Sweden, Singapore, and by and large, the vast majority of the countries do have like a like public option or matter for all type, you know, deal. But there's still private insurance that because like so for instance, I think in France, like the government covers like um, eighty or ninety percent of like services, and you're required to buy into that system. But for services that aren't covered, you can, you know, have a private insurance that you can buy into, or you just pay out of pocket. And it seems like most foreign, you know, governments that have, uh, I guess, public insurance for all still have private insurance. So that's a difference between like Bernie Sanders plan, uh, which would completely abolish public options and um, other people's plans. But, you know, it's just interesting because people are always comparing us to other nations. And if you're going to do that, you should be informed about what other nations are actually doing. So I will share that article. Yeah, you said that was what you meant. You said it was the Kaiser family. 
Foundation? Uh, well, this art, this, no, well, this particular article was actually done by um, researchers at, you know, different universities. So um, what they had, it was a panel of judges that kind of talked about the different systems. So there was somebody from Indiana University School of Medicine, uh, the Harvard Chan School of Public Health, uh, Kellogg. Uh, business school, another public health school. And in the article, what they did was compared all of the different um, healthcare systems across the world. So, you know, they go system by system and they compare like Canada to Britain, which is like the single payer option. And, you know, they just go through all of these different uh, world system, world healthcare systems. They explain it, but they also kind of judge it to see like what works about it and what does not. And it's an article, a New York Times article that I'll share. Yeah, nice, nice. No, that'd be cool to check out. Yeah, because I was looking at the Kaiser. Um, it's one article. Uh, it was on Vox, but they were citing uh, data from the Kaiser Family Foundation and just kind of getting like what the public perceptions are on um, you know Medicare for all, and pretty much you know most uh, majority of people they surveyed majority of americans said that they would are willing to pay more in taxes to cover the cost of health insurance um and uh but 55 percent of them also said that they would want to keep their current health insurance right mm -hmm. and 37 percent said they would not so it's like this disconnect of i think people are in favor of giving uh you know a, a broader healthcare system for people that can't afford it need it whatever um and we're willing to pay taxes for that but people aren't as willing to give up their private and i think a part of it is just the unknown like what would that entail what would that look like you know and uh, mm -hmm. and then once more from even in the article it says like the biggest thing about this is uh views have shifted once people have been more informed of like what it actually entails what it's about and then everyone is a little bit more likely to to buy into it um so i think this is a part of like bernie's issue as well as like he's not uh fine-tuning or really doing a good job at explaining the details of what that would look like to garnish more support um so we'll, we'll see. i agree he really needs to be more detailed about his plans because um a different article i read you know kind of broke down that you know medicare for all is potentially different than like single payer and like socialized medicine it's kind of like there are a lot of words and terms that have been thrown around and candidates need to be very clear about what they're talking about and you do that by releasing very specific plans about what it looks like for us to receive health care under you know any particular system how it's going to be paid for and how realistic that it's actually going to be accomplished because don't run on a policy platform that can't happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause then I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, I want to uh, really quickly move on to um, uh, this because I, I a question I will ask you about too, but you know, uh, recently Kamala Harris and she's talked about this before, but you know, she's kind of unveiled her plan, um, which she said is a part of her, you know, black agenda. Um, is and when she gets an office, she wants to propose, you know, $74.5 billion uh, for black higher education and business, um, mm -hmm. to kind of decrease the you know, the black white wealth gap, um, and a lot of the money. Um, you know, she says pretty much $60 billion of that she wants to invest into STEM programs at HBCUs um, to help, you know, 
get these programs or you know get more uh, give them more resources and strengthen the programs and get more exposure to black students in these spaces uh which i think is great but i always i you know I, why is everything about stem programs and you know, why can't the liberal arts or other programs also get a piece of that pie you know what i'm saying i feel like I mean, and this is just probably my bias because I'm not in STEM. I definitely understand the value and the resources needed, but it's like being a professor, being somebody in liberal arts, wanting to do things for the community, it would be nice to be able to apply for those funds to be able to contribute to things in the black community and socially, whatever it is, outside of mm-hmm. STEM. Um, and it's just not, you know, a Kamala thing. It's it's generally a pattern I've been noticing when people donate. It's, you know, to STEM, STEM program. And I feel like even going to a school like Purdue, them STEM programs be the ones that already have like so much money, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and the buildings mm-hmm. and the facilities and the higher salaries and all that great stuff. And it's just like, oh, now they're going to get, I mean, this is for HBCUs, HBCUs exp- uh, specifically, but it's kind of like, you know, they already have a lot of, of funds and money. So I don't know. That's just my critique. <laughs> I I feel like I'm tired of like the push for STEM too, because one, we, you know, we need all types of people in the world. We don't all want to be like robots doing the exact same thing. Um, a lot of my friends are in STEM fields and I really love the work that they do, but we also need people in other fields. And so even when you think about businesses like uh, in uh, like Silicon Valley, think of the Facebook, like Facebook is essentially a sociological, not a sociological, psychological experiment. And Mark Zuckerberg himself will say how the role that like studying psychology or understanding psychology played in building this business. Um, you know, the arts and liberal arts are needed. How many people cannot critically think about the things they are reading? You know what I'm saying? Like, we can't just focus on, like, math and science. We really need to be focusing on civics. Mm -hmm. We would not be in the position we are with our democracy under threat if people were taught civics in a rigorous way, because that's falling by the wayside um, in K-12 education with the focus on math testing and science testing and, yeah, English and reading testing. But, you know, we aren't teaching our children about government and look at the crisis we are in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking about some of the text messages, you know, these kids send each other. We need to focus on the uh, language arts as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's just kind of like it can't just be about math and science. We have to be able to communicate ideas. That's language arts. Um, we have to be able to, like, understand each other. You know, that's psychology, sociology. Um, it's, it's just it's so much more than math and science. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, it is. It is. And we just even think about the. You know, I mean, the strides our country has made and the leadership that we've had, you know, it's I mean, when have you heard of an engineer, you know, paving the way uh, to, to for for social change? I'm not saying that they don't, but it's the, the, the leadership and the knowledge and education that you learn in some of the social sciences that better equip you to understand human nature and social organization mm-hmm. better to actually articulate what we need to address and how we need to address it. And so it's just like, like you said, I think it's equally as important um, to, to highlight those things because, 
you know, it just it just I think can produce better humans in a way uh, and just people because mm-hmm. uh, that's what we focus on. Um, and even again, being at a place like Purdue and, you know, outside, just like, you know, uh, the black students, just a lot of the folks who were in STEM, it was like two completely different worlds. You know, um, when we would do things, we would have conversations, larger conversations on camp- campus about the climate and stuff. You know, people mm-hmm. instead would be like, I have no idea this was going on or, you know, what is the big deal? Or it was like such a big disconnect <laughs> on on even on a campus. It was such a big disconnect. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we need to do a better job at just like, yes, because we asked, you know, we, uh, you know, growing up and even, at you know, high schools and, and college, you know, I had to take you know, you know, these math courses and these science courses. And, and a lot of times I'm finding that even in my school, like people in like the business program and the STEM program, it's like an option to take uh, a sociology course or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, and I think a lot of these courses um, on diversity, on civics, stuff like that need needs to be mandated just as much as me taking like, you know, physics 101, you know, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's I agree. Did you also notice that in that plan, um, she does have like a student loan forgiveness uh, piece of the plan, but it is for Pell Grant recipients who start businesses that operate for three years in disadvantaged communities. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I mean, I, uh, well, Pell, it's, that's that's two stipulations to Pell Grant and then also going into certain communities. I can see the idea of it giving it giving putting businesses back into these communities provides some incentive for that. Um but I mean that's a part of the problem is that we've never had I feel like we do have a incentives but people it don't it don't seem to make much of a change of people mm-hmm. going back to the communities and it's always been like nobody goes to the poor disadvantaged communities until they start being gentrified. Um and so I don't know. It's a lot to it. Not to say it's a terrible plan, uh, but you know, I gotta got your critique. It's so niche. Yeah. It's it's that that's so yeah, so I, I don't know. Um Yeah. yeah. And also where would the it's, sixty it's, billion it's, dollars, seventy billion yeah. dollars be coming from? You know, like where would you just get seventy five billion dollars just to give to, to black HBCUs and, and businesses? That's a lot of money. Um, <laughs> that's another question too. How would you say, but how will we actually get it? That's that's what I want to start seeing more of. <laughs> it's just like, y'all talking about getting these billions of dollars, but how, like where, what is your plan um, of getting these things? Because mm-hmm. we are being, I just don't want to, I guess I like the whole thing, like we said before, we just don't want to be sold, sold the dream, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, well, Biden said he's not going to be nice tonight. Oh, that, oh, that's what he said? If people come after you, he ain't going to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I knew. It was, I know it's gonna come because he is mad. Uh, you know, he didn't. I know he get, it hit him. Hit him deep. That surprise attack by Kamala, which I don't even know why I was surprised to him. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because I, I picture Kamala like you know before the debate, like hey, hey Joe, what's up? You know, and in the back of her mind, she know what she doing. And Biden like, oh, we cool. Yeah, it's gonna be a, gonna be a, a good you know nice debate. And then she hit him with that, and that just probably hurt his feelings a little bit. So now, he... <laughs> well, it seems like the so you know hit him on the segregation, and it seems like like tonight they might be trying to hit him on the crime bill. Mm. So I think last week Cory Booker may have like brought that up or or mentioned it. So it's just kind of like 
I mean, I mean, Biden can hit, you know, Harris back on some things. I, I don't know about Booker, but um, yeah, yeah, not much. That's it's harder for somebody like Biden to go after people who are new in the game because you don't got too much dirt. Um, yeah, I think mm-hmm. I only think is I guess Booker's mis mishap or stuff with the pharmaceutical companies. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely, I would like to see. You know, I would like to see this him and you know take more shots at Kamala a little bit her record because I want to see how she responds on that stage um deflect 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 yeah i think i said <laughs> i even watched her um i just i'm tired of what like her she had another recent interview on the breakfast club i don't know if you saw that um mm-hmm. but it's just you know you know Charlemagne and them are good at what they do but they, it is just so biased when she's on compared to when they have other candidates on mm-hmm. um they just come they just give her a lot of like leading questions and, and like our you know, uh, joking with her about her naysayers and acting like everything she said. Like, they don't really, like, get to her with the questions they need to ask. Um, it's a little bit, not not that it shouldn't be friendly, but you can just tell that the, her interviews compared to other candidates they have on, where Charlamagne's been much more serious and to the point, and, like, what's your black agenda? And I'm holding, like, they're much more um, lenient to, to Kamala. Um, yeah. It's more like advertisement than... Um information yeah 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 like yeah and i feel like it's a what what i'm disappointed in i think i feel like it's a dangerous game that the breakfast club is playing because they are now that go-to platform for these politicians to reach out to the black audience and if you are being biased in that way and not fairly or you know equally critiquing somebody like kamala it can do it you can be doing a disservice to the community that you're serving or that mm-hmm. listen to you like I feel like you need to be just as critical not just on the white candidates but the black candidates too um and uh and you know get that I mean they, they were with Cory Booker and stuff but it's just like I don't know I feel like they're giving Kamala a pretty a pretty good pass and that's why she's the only one that has like been back there already twice and I feel like she's going to keep going back uh because of that relationship they have where she's kind of protected and she can talk to these folks so Keep your eyes on that. And if you haven't, definitely y'all check out her interviews on The Breakfast Club compared to other ones. And I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, this this debate or this set of debates right here is going to be make or break for the candidates who are, you know, not already at the top. Because the threshold, as we've mentioned before, to get into like the September and October debates are really high. And right now, only... Six candidates even qualify to be on the stage in September, and that's Biden, Buttigieg, Harris, O'Rourke, Sanders, and Warren. Then you know, Castro, Cory Booker doesn't even qualify. Castro and Booker uh, don't apply. Okay. So they so like so for instance, to get in the September debate, you have to have at least two percent. In four polls, so like polling at 2% in four different polls and acquired uh, donations from 130,000 unique donors. And so there are people who have met one of those thresholds, but not the other. So, for instance, Yang and Castro have met the donor threshold. So they, you know, people are interested in them, but they're not polling at 2% right now across mm, four, okay. four different polls. Booker is polling at 2%, but he hasn't oh, he gotten the money yet? No. Oh. And he probably has a lot of money, but 
he needs the unique donor. Like he needs more people to believe in him, if that makes any sense. Oh man. Wow. The same thing for Amy Klobuchar. She uh, met the polling, but not the donors. So, you know, it's six people that have qualified and four people that have met one criteria, but not the other. Mm, okay, so so you're going to see people who are on that bubble probably a little more scrappy in this, this round of debates. Yeah. Trying to get their name yeah. known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have a feeling that Castro and Booker will probably end up meeting their other, because especially Castro, if you got 130,000 people that were, you know, willing to donate, you know, especially after this debate and they start doing more polls and stuff like that, I, I have a feeling. Um, and Booker, you know, he going to have to, yeah, he going to have to be scrappy to get more donors. I don't know how many he has right now to say how close or far he is. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I would have thought Booker would have had the donors. So that's, I mean, you're right. You probably, he probably does have big donors, but not the unique don- donation. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Something to keep your eyes on. And for those of you who, you know, like these candidates, go ahead and, you know, throw a couple dollars, $10 or something just to give them that <laughs> unique donation if you want to see them into that next round. Uh-huh. Um, you know what? I, I actually did that for Castro is not, and you know, because in a poll, you know what? I can't say I would vote for him in a poll, so that's that's interesting. But I wanted to hear more, so I wanted to make sure he was on the stage. So I actually didn't think about that because if if they asked me in a poll, I probably wouldn't say I would vote for Castro, but I was willing to give him five dollars to put him to put him on the stage. Yeah, I mean that's good. I mean I think a lot of people do. They want to probably hear more of people like Castro and maybe Booker, whoever else. because I think they're a little different than what we've been, you know, seeing so far with some of the leading candidates. And so we'll mm-hmm. keep my eyes on it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and I do, I wouldn't mind, yes, to getting down to this one night of debates. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think it'll be two. I think. Let me, let me check that. Yep, it's, it's still too. Um, it'll be on September 12th and 13th. So, like, if I guess if there are 10 candidates, it's five and five. Or if, So, people will get more time, so maybe we'll get more substance. Okay, yeah. Those are those are the debates I'm waiting to get to when they can talk a little bit more and we can see who separates themselves from, from the pack or who, you know, shoots themselves in the foot. Because <laughs> that, yeah. that typically happens. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, so you know, just just kind of looking forward um, to these debates, just trying to you know see where our country is going. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And before we close, I just want to highlight one story um, that I forgot to mention earlier about Trump because um, it might be important for some folks or just to know. Um, have you heard about what was going on about uh, the food stamp benefits? Oh, that uh, Trump was trying to get rid of them or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like a proposal, um, Trump administration, where pretty much 3 million people could lose their food stamp benefits uh, because they're trying to close what they call a loophole that essentially allows states to give benefits to those who do not otherwise be eligible uh, by raising or eliminating income and asset limits. Um, so pretty much 40 states, most of the states in the country use do this uh, by just pretty much giving it, still giving the opportunity or option to give food stamps to people that may need it but may not fully qualify. 
and mm-hmm. um, Trump is trying to pretty much completely take that away. Most of the people who qualify in this uh, loophole that they say are people who may have a job that may make them not qualify, but their expenses such as paying a lot for childcare is one of the reasons that they still get awarded for these SNAP benefits um, because so much of their money goes to like daycare mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So those people would be the ones most affected uh, where they may won't, they won't be able to afford childcare anymore. Um, which, you know, causes so many other issues and stuff like that. So um, just something to keep your eyes on with the proposal. Uh, You know, again, they're trying to say it's bipartisan, nonbipartisan. Who knows? We'll see when it gets pushed down the line. I think they have uh, 60 days to comment on the proposal. Um, People, and I think it was came out in uh, a week or so ago, within this past week, Um, maybe like July 23rd, July 22nd. I can't find the exact date. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. So those of you on food stamps, know people on food stamps, or things like that, or working these services, you want to, you know, begin to possibly inform people of what can potentially happen if a bill like this gets passed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good information. Um, uh, but all right. Uh, other than that, you know, uh, check the debates. Uh, we'll definitely talk about them next week and our takeaways and what we've seen and what what do we think could happen um i'm sure there'll probably be some funny memes going around again we'll see if people are going to continue to speak spanish again like they did in the last one (laughs) maybe somebody will be different though in another language who knows maybe somebody will be funny and try to speak russian that'll be funny (laughs) get get out Uh, well, no, we'll have fun with that and keep everybody up to date. Uh, but if you haven't yet, follow us on social media at BHD Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Keep up with all the latest content, blackandhollydangerous.com. You can also email us at bhdpodcast at gmail.com with your ideas, uh, people you want us to reach out to, questions, comments, concerns, whatever it is, reach out to us. If you haven't yet, please, please, please review and rate us on iTunes. It really, really helps us out a lot. Um, and then other than that, Share us with your friends, share us with your family, share us with your enemies, and as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com, to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.